Good to see you everyone and uh, I'm going to ask God for help as we look at Psalm 57. Um, Father, thank you for this wonderful opportunity to hear you speak to us and as I um, preach, I pray that these words that come out of my mouth would be useful in the building of your church and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I remember in the last year of my um, Bible college degree, uh, I was constantly having stomach pains. Uh, I went to the doctor and the doctor wasn't able to find anything wrong with me. However, I I did eventually realise what was wrong. I was seriously stressed and my body was just not coping. Uh, I was stressed, not just because it was my last year at Bible college, um, I was stressed probably more so because um, someone whom I loved deeply was going through an incredibly rough time. And to make things worse, their marriage was breaking down. Um, I remember calling on God in prayer. You know, asking him to change the circumstances um, for them. Um, Praying that their marriage would be upheld. Praying that things would go better for them. But God did not answer um, those prayers the way I wanted him to. Now, of course, this type of situation isn't unique to me. Throughout our lifetimes, we all go through elements of danger, distress and disaster. Maybe you're going through that right now to do with your health or anxieties, maybe about your family, colleagues who mock you and persecute you, maybe you're under severe financial pressure, or you have relational tension with people at church, and you ask God, please, will you do something to change my circumstances? But it becomes even more difficult when for unknown reasons to yourself, God just doesn't seem to do anything about your circumstance. And so today I want to see how Psalm 57 can help us um, and answer this question. What if God doesn't change our circumstances? What if the danger, distress and disaster just remain? You know, how, how should we respond as followers of Christ? How do we keep fear and anxiety at bay? And how do we keep trusting God when he doesn't fix things the way we want them fixed? Well, in today's psalm, um, if you were to look at the title, we get a bit of background to why this psalm was written. So let's look at the title under Psalm 57. It says, For the director of music to the tune of Do Not Destroy of David, a mictum, when he had fled from Saul into the cave. And it's important to pay attention to these details because we get the background, particularly from that last sentence, when he had fled from Saul into the cave. Uh, David is the one who writes this. He's fleeing King Saul. The situation is most likely we read in 1 Samuel chapter 22. David, as we know from earlier on in 1 Samuel, is the king in waiting. And out of jealousy, King Saul wants to kill David. And so David finds himself hiding from King Saul in a cave. It's like a really terrible game of hide and seek. And so the situation is that God's chosen king, and I'll say that again, God's chosen king is hiding in a cave. And in this psalm, we see how David responds uh, while he's in the midst of danger and distress. 
And so, God willing today, I hope that you'll see that the way David responds is he looks to God for safety, he desires God's glory above his own circumstances, and he'll show us how we too can endure. But firstly, let's look at how David responds in the midst of disaster. Um, David does the great thing of turning to God. Now, of course, this is easier said than done, but in the heat of the moment, David turns from his situation to God. And in particular, and this is my first point, David takes refuge in God. David finds his safe space in God, his safe zone. Uh, Let's have a look in verse 1 to see this idea. Have mercy on me, my God, have mercy on me, for in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. So while David is fleeing, while he's in the midst of disaster, you would think David sees the cave as refuge, the cave that's sheltering him, protecting him, but in fact David sees God as his shelter, his protection, his refuge. On our holidays that we recently had, uh, we went for a bushwalk with some friends of ours and as we were descending Mount Kira, one of my children um, fell and hurt themselves. And so, of course, um, I I went to pick up um, the child who fell um, and cuddle them um, while they recovered from the pain and the discomfort they got from scrapes on the rocks. Um, They had found a little bit of protection and a little bit of safety in my arms. But of course the pain doesn't immediately go away uh, once um, they were in my arms and as soon as I picked up the child. No, the pain remains, doesn't it? And uh, as we're in the safe refuge, um, and that's the same for David. For him, the fear doesn't just immediately go away just because he's gone to God to be his refuge. Um, But he's able to endure the disaster knowing he is under the protection, under the shadow of God's wings. And I wonder if David thought of God as a hen who gathers his chicks under her wings. Um, I wonder if that kind of image of that mother hen was in David's mind when he wrote about the shadow of God's wings. Maybe, maybe not. But we do see more of what David thought of God in verse 2. David sees... God as the God to trust because he vindicates, he justifies the innocent and he sends forth his love and faithfulness. So in the midst of disaster, the first thing I want you to see is that David takes refuge in God. The second thing I want you to see, and this is my second point, is that David in the midst of disaster desires God's glory above all things, even more important than his own circumstances. So in other words, David desires God to be glorified. See, regardless of his situation, David wants and desires, above all this, God to be honoured. He wants his circumstances to actually serve this greater purpose, this greater purpose of God being worshipped and adored. And you can see this way of thinking from verses 4 and 5. I am in the midst of lions. I am forced to dwell among ravenous beasts. Men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. But then you have this change in verse 5. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. And he'll repeat that refrain in verse 11 later on. But David likens his situation to that of being in the midst of lions. You might think of Daniel in the, in the lion's den. He's surrounded 
by danger. And in this case, he's surrounded by men who are wanting to devour him. Um, And it looks like devouring him by their words. And yet in verse 5, he yearns ultimately not for his safety or his circumstances to change, but he ultimately yearns for God to be exalted and glorified. And what that means is he wants the world to know that God rules. In verse 2, David calls God, God most high. He, he definitely believes this. And David's great desire is for the world to see and to know that God rules over everything and even over this situation. This is the glory David speaks of. Um, Kidner, in his commentary, writes, David looks up from his own urgent interests to his overriding concern that God should be exalted. Now, um, Mitch and I, we've uh, um, uh, we started this year doing a book reading challenge um, for 2020. Um, we're doing, going through a selection of books with different categories. Um, and so far, Mitch has read five books this year, and I've read one. And the, and the only book I've read was actually a kid's book. Uh, that was one of the categories I thought that would be the easiest to start with. So... Um, if you're wanting to know, read Nevermore, then you might want to block your ears because I might give a little bit away. But in that book, Nevermore, great book, the main character, Morrigan, has to face a number of trials. She comes upon the fright trial and she must face two frights within that trial. And one of the clues that she's given at the beginning of the trial is that in order to pass the tests, she must follow the glow. And then you read along and then you find out that Morrigan is then surrounded by her darkest fear. It's surrounding her, it's about to engulf her, but she looks up and she sees the light of the lamppost. And eventually she climbs it to escape it. And it's sort of like that with David, even in the midst of trial where fear is surrounding him, he looks up and sees the light of God ruling in the heavens over this world. That God is to be exalted. That's what God looks towards. That's what God desires. And he desires for God to be glorified and enables him to actually go through this particular trial. Pastor Tim Keller writes this, Deeper than disaster, danger and distress is the desire for God to be glorified. If that can happen by saving us from our circumstances, then praise God. If it is better accomplished by our circumstances remaining unchanged, while we continue to show our confidence in God before the watching world, praise God as well. See, for David, God's glory is his primary concern. And whatever situation he finds himself in, he'll accept it if it serves that greater concern of God being honoured. Now, what does that mean for us? Well, I am not saying don't cry out to God to change your circumstances. There is nothing wrong to cry out to God to change your circumstances. God is our Father. He listens to us. But he doesn't necessarily give us what we want like any good father. The way we want it to be answered, our prayers, isn't necessarily the way that God will answer it. And if he doesn't answer it the way you want him to answer it, it doesn't mean God is ignoring you. He is answering us 
but with an answer maybe we don't quite understand or get at the time, maybe we'll never get it, but maybe we'll get it a bit later on. But if he doesn't fix your circumstances, maybe he is trying to show you that this situation is an opportunity for you to show God's glory to the world, to show that God rules over this situation. We don't know everything that God knows, and that brings us comfort. And so how can you show God's loving rule in your life when you're being attacked by another person's accusations and words? How can you show God's loving rule in your life when there is no improvement in your health? The problems with your family persist. The difficulties at work and the financial pressures continue. How can you show that you are confident in the God who rules the world? Yes, we can ask for things to change, but if they don't, can you see that these are opportunities to trust and to serve God? Now this psalm reminds us that even in the experience of pain and suffering, our humble dependence and confidence in God can show the world that we acknowledge that someone else is in control. Did you ever think about that your trials can actually be a window to God's glory in the world? But also this, if you're a follower of Jesus, did you, do you know or can I remind you that you are secure, safe in Jesus? Uh, Colossians uh, tells us that since you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. See, despite what's going on in your life, the reality is that you are united with Jesus who has been exalted. You've been raised with Christ. You are safe and secure, protected by God in the heavenly realms. And when our hearts and minds drift to that beautiful reality that we are with Christ at God's right hand, safely hidden in Jesus, then disaster and death will ultimately not endanger us. And when we realise that our lives are safe in Jesus, we can pray for God's concerns. And that's what Jesus teaches us in the Lord's Prayer, doesn't he? He doesn't start off with, give us today our daily bread, please, Father. He starts off with, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. What that means? Honour to you, Lord God. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Show us from, from what you have in heaven here on earth that your will be done and your kingdom go forth. And then we come to our needs. But first we pray to God for him to be honoured and glorified. That's, that ought to be our desire. And that's, uh, in some sense, one of the good things about praying the Lord's Prayer is that hopefully that shapes our desires, that we, ought, we want God to be glorified and honoured, and even glorified and honoured in our distress. But all of this seems just easier said than done, don't you think? Oh man, just switch. Yeah, I can just glorify. It's not that easy, isn't it? How do we handle times of great danger? How do we handle times of great distress when there's fear and anxiety just kind of creeping and lurching at us? How do we develop greater confidence in God? Well, let's have a look at how David handles it and then we'll look at how we can handle it afterwards. Um, But this is my final point. Um, How does David handle the times of great danger and distress? Maybe unexpectedly, David commits himself to praising God. 
Now, of course, before David sets himself to sing and speak to God and to speak of God, uh, before David can proclaim the praises of God, uh, he needs to reorientate his heart, needs to kind of um, get the, the mess that the darkness has caused and reorientate it right. Now, remember, what has come before to help David's confidence in God is that he trusts that God is his safe zone, his refuge, and David's desires for God to be glorified. And so all that kind of helps him to reorientate his heart. And then he lands it in verse 7. Have a look at verse 7 with me. My heart, O God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. It's important to note that David here has yet to escape. He's not out of the danger. And when he says this, it's in the midst of disaster. But he reveals that his heart remains steadfast. And what that means is that his heart remains trusting and assured that God will act according to his loving loyalty. David accepts that God is lovingly committed to him. And once his heart is set on God, David can now sing. Once his heart is set on God, David can commits himself. He diligently uh, wants to be praising God. Uh, in some sense, he's making himself praise God. Verse 9. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. In the midst of this darkness, David will praise the Lord. In the, in the darkness of the cave, beautiful noise will come from him. As he reflects upon God's loyalty and his faithfulness, it motivates him to sing and to praise. But wait for it. He's hoping that in the future it won't just be within the midst of the cave. It's in the midst of the nations. David commits himself to praising God, not just for himself, but for the world. David is set on proclaiming God's greatness, not just to Israel, but to the nations of the world. So let's be clear though, when we come to work out, well, how do we handle difficulties and the, the distressful circumstances in our lives? Well, let's be clear, we cannot necessarily do exactly what David does. I mean, put up your hand if you're the king of Israel in waiting. Put up your, put up your hand, please. Okay, no, all right, Mitch is not. Good, okay. We, we can't just automatically apply this to us. And in fact, we're more like the rabble of men that have surrounded King David, aren't we? We're the ones distressed in debt and we flock to the king, don't we? And so it's good to be reminded that Jesus, who fulfills and is the anointed one, he is the Christ, the king that fulfills Psalm 57. Jesus, like David, knows what it's like to be pursued by his enemies. Jesus knows what it's like to undergo trials. And so if there's anyone to cling to, if there's anyone to be friends with, then we need to be friends with this one. But why? Why be friends with Jesus? Well, when Jesus died, before he died on that night, two things come to mind. As I read this psalm, two things popped up uh, when, I, when I thought about Jesus' um, last meal. Um, do you know what Jesus did when he celebrated the Passover meal, the Last Supper, with his disciples, do you know what he did immediately after that? Anyone have a guess? He 
sung a hymn. Now, you probably wouldn't have picked that, that detail up because it's just a, when I read in Mark's Gospel, it's just a little line in Mark's Gospel. And sorry if you, you answered that and I couldn't pick it up because of the masks. But even when Jesus knew he was going to die, even when Jesus knew he was going to be betrayed, what does he do? He sings. He sings a hymn to God. A few moments later, though, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And what does he say? My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And what does Jesus do? He prays for his circumstances to be changed, doesn't he? He says, Father, please take this cup away from me. But then he follows that up and he cries, yet not what I will, but what you will. Isn't that incredible? And what this shows us is that even though we may fail to desire God's glory in times of trouble, Jesus has not failed. Even though we may be more tempted to curse God in our difficult circumstances than sing, Jesus did not curse God and yet he sung. He has done what we were not able to do. Jesus died for our failure to trust God in the midst of troubles. Have you failed to trust God in the midst of troubles? Well, do not fret because Christ has taken that upon himself on the cross. Have you failed to desire God's glory in the midst of your dark and troubled times? Well, do not fret yet again. Put your trust in Christ because he did not fail. And it's when we look at our king... That's when our hearts are reorientated. When we look at the steadfast loving commitment of Jesus to us in his suffering and death, then that fills our heart with great confidence. It reorientates our hearts, doesn't it, and makes you want to sing. Maybe not initially, but as you continue to fill your heart with what Christ has done, it does make you want to sing. And so it's no surprise that we can praise God as well. Like Paul and Silas, when they were stuck in their cave, in their prison, what did they do when they were stuck in their prison? They sung, didn't they? They sung hymns. And so as you look to Jesus, can you commit yourself to praising God even in your suffering? Like Jesus, we too... Because we've been saved, we can look past our trials and suffering and look to the glory to come. And after having our hearts reorientated, are you determined to praise God in your trials? And it's a sad shame, isn't it, that we cannot sing. It's not just something um, that we, oh, we, you know, it's just not something that we just, an added bonus of coming to church. It's, it's part of our well-being, isn't it, to sing together. Because when you're in distress, you're isolated, aren't you? You feel like no one else is going through this. But when you come together to sing with your brothers and sisters in Christ, it brings a unity and a togetherness that we may not recognise when we're going through dark times. But not only that, doesn't it? It, It's it's an opportunity for us to praise our Lord and God it's a, in some sense um, a great thing for God, but it's a, it's a great thing for us as well. So let's lament the fact that we cannot sing.
Well, let's finish up our time together. And uh, um, if Reg Piper were leading a service, uh, you would probably be guaranteed to end on this note. Can anyone tell me what kind of note would we end on? What would he exhort us to do from the scriptures? Rejoice. Rejoice. And that's exactly how I want to finish today. Uh, I want to exhort us to rejoice in the Lord. Um, The psalm encourages us, doesn't it, to rejoice in the Lord. And I believe there are plenty of reasons to rejoice in the Lord. Even when our world is falling apart, even when you're feeling discouraged or ill or anxious. But there'll be some of us here today who'd be upfront and honest and say, look, when I'm struggling, I cannot find anything to rejoice in. And I want to just emphasise when we talk about rejoicing in the Lord, if there's nothing else to rejoice in, we can rejoice in him, in Christ. We can always praise God for his holiness, his steadfast love, his grace for us in Jesus. And remember that you are rejoicing, not because of Jesus, but because you are united to Jesus, you are in Jesus. We enjoy all the benefits that Jesus has achieved. We are sons and daughters because of the true son. We are co-heirs because of the one who inherits the earth. We are co-sharers in Jesus' glory because of the one in whom all glory is and belongs to. And of course, as we've been reminded today, we can rejoice because there is now no condemnation in Christ. You are safe and secure because you are in him. Amen to that.